If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. You ever wondered what it is to have the happy life? Have you ever heard someone say, what is it that makes you happy? We've all heard it. We've all said it. Different times in our lives. The question is, what does that really mean? Because if you were to ask different people what it means to be happy, they would have different answers, wouldn't they? What makes one person particularly happy will not make another one happy. One wants riches. One wants a great relationship with someone. One wants more children. One wants a better job. Some want to be left alone, right? All of those things are very different for different people. But if you and I were to look at happiness as God's word defines it, we would get a totally different answer. In Psalm chapter 1, we see three things that we're going to look at in this text. Number one, the righteous life, which is verses 1 through 3. Number two, the ungodly life, verses 4 through 5. And number three, the contrasting conclusion, verse 6. Number one, the righteous life, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We start off with the first word in this psalm, which is blessed. The meaning of the word essentially is happy. King David pens this psalm and gives us incredible insight as to what it is that makes a man happy or blessed. The way we view happiness in our culture is not exactly the same way that the psalmist is trying to describe it for us here in this text. We tend to find ourselves defining happiness on our own terms, based on our own wishes and desires, which is why we ask the question, what makes you happy? What we mean by asking that question is what gives you fulfillment? Even if it's something that may be vain or empty when we think about it. The rabbis in Jewish writings stated that happiness is more a state of well-being from one that is devoted to something greater than themselves, to pursuing wisdom. The idea here can also relate to advancing or moving forward. So when we start here to see a blessed man, we see a man that has a sense of direction. He knows where he's going. The pursuit of happiness in our culture usually ends in frustration because we pursue what won't satisfy. So what is it that makes this righteous or godly man a blessed, advanced, happy man? There are things that he does not do, actions that he does not take, things that he does not participate in. There are three things specifically here in this text. Number one, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. 
Number two, doesn't stand in the path of sinners. Number three, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. So let's break it down a little bit. Number one, doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The idea here is the blessed man does not follow the advice, the counsel of the wicked or unrighteous. Which means he knows who to get advice from and who not to get advice from. Do you know when someone's giving you godly advice or when that advice may be actually wicked and ungodly? Because the truth is that can be a source that you can trust. And they, in that moment, may actually be wrong. They, at that moment, may be parroting what the world would want you to hear. Not what God's word clearly states. Are you discerning enough to know when someone offers you ungodly or wicked advice? There are a lot of Christians who follow the counsel of the ungodly every single week. Their advice for living comes from the very sources that they draw from on a daily basis. Whether it's the podcast they download, the music they listen to, the book they are currently reading that puts a different perspective in their mind. The reason so many are unable to discern and live this blessed life is because their senses are numbed by the cares of this world. The reason why we have a hard time discerning as believers is that we find refreshment in the things of this world and not in God. Finding refreshment in the Lord and His Word is not our priority. Many cannot tell what godly or wicked advice is because they've been easily duped in today's culture. What sins are quietly tolerated by the church today will be loudly celebrated tomorrow, voiding all of the blessing of God upon a church. The blessed man knows whether it's wicked or righteous when it comes to someone's advice. They are perceptive enough to tell the difference. What's even worse is when a brother or sister in Christ receives ungodly advice and they pass it on as something God would approve of or even misinterpret his word. The righteous man who is blessed seeks wise counsel aligned with God's word, not with the wisdom of this world. And he stays away from ungodly counsel. It does not mean that he is oblivious, sticks his head in the sand, doesn't know what's going on. It means that when he encounters ungodly advice, he can see it for what it is. He does not live with that as his priority. He does not take that advice and heed that advice as his own. Essentially, ungodly counsel is anything that is in opposition to God and his rule over this world. In fact, if you just turn to the next psalm, Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, there's another statement here that gives us a little more insight. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord 
and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. You see, believer, if you are a follower of God, you need to realize that the world's advice is not for you. It is in opposition to you because it is in opposition to God. One of the most ungodly pieces of advice you can ever hear is found in the phrase, follow your heart or listen to your heart. We have songs on the radio that say those things. Just like the children of Israel did, and God says this in the book of Jeremiah about them. Jeremiah 7, 24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. Believer, you and I have that same ability. Instead of moving forward, we go backwards. Instead of moving ahead in our walk with God, we fall behind. We go back to our old ways, and we go back to our own living, the old perspectives that we used to hold. A righteous or godly person knows that even inside their own mind can come ungodly thoughts. Their own conscience, if not trained properly, can deceive them if they're not careful. The idea of walking according to the counsel of the ungodly means that you don't live like the world, do the things that they do in opposition to God. What is absolutely terrifying is seeing how many believers join hands with the world in opposing God. It's absolutely insulting and blasphemous. Believers that openly live ungodly lives in celebration with the rest of the world should take a closer look as to why they're not living the blessed life that's described here. And I love how one author put it. He said, the most miserable people on this earth are not those in the world. The most, people, most miserable people on this earth are children of God that know better but choose not to live according to the dictates of Scripture. So we see that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Here's what else we see. Number two, he doesn't stand in the path of sinners. This gives the impression of going in a particular direction. A godly man or woman knows the way to blessing may be more painful now. Because the reward, though, is worth it in the end. They know that in Christ are hidden all the riches of God. He's worth the price. Traveling alone for the righteous is always worth it, instead of joining the crowd that leads to destruction. There's a song I've listened to plenty when I heard growing up that has the following lyrics which speak to this says this, my decision cannot be put off again. I see the right choice, but my heart is filled with dread. It all seems backwards in my head, my head. I know it seems too wrong to be right, 
This way is so much harder to fight. But in the end, I know it is true. This way is better. It's better for you. And the second verse says this, Choose a little pain and gain a life with joy. Accepting pleasure now will earn a life of pain. It all seems backwards in my head. My head. I know it seems too wrong to be right. This way is so much harder to fight. But in the end, I know it is true. This way is better. It's better for you. For you. The blessed man who wants to live uprightly knows it's a fight. And they don't stand with those in opposition to God and his word. They will stand as representatives of God and will not partner with ungodliness. It's not just listening to their advice, it's making sure you don't stand with them as well. You see, a lot of people secretly listen to the world's advice but won't openly say they really believe it. But it comes out in different practical forms in their life. When it becomes very apparent, though, is when they start standing with those people. They stake with those people. They align with those people in opposition to those that are on God's side. You see, because you keep going down this road, you end up falling into this third area that's described here. And that is sitting with them in opposition to the truth. Number three, it's truly a sad reality that a believer gets to the point where they mock what they once believed. As Casting Crowns put it, where black and white has turned to gray. It's a slow fade. It doesn't happen all at once. It's one of the reasons why many that you see growing up around you that go to the same church you do have such different views today. It didn't get there overnight. It took time. What many don't realize is that people that have once stood for God slowly gave in to ungodly counsel. They started feeling sorry for those that are in sin And thought that by standing with them, they would somehow get them to see Jesus. What they ended up doing is falling in with them in support of that sin. Unfortunately, they finally land in this last place that the blessed man seeks to avoid. And he doesn't want to participate in. Number three, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. You can start by just listening and applying bits and pieces of ungodly advice. But before you know it, you start standing with those people as well. You stand in opposition to God. Loving the world and aligning with them in sin. And we end up becoming the very thing we never thought we would be. The scoffers or the scornful. The ones that mock the things of God. The worst critics of the Bible are believers who have refused to be subjected to the truths of Scripture for themselves. They argue that it never worked out for others, so they ridicule other believers that want to be faithful to the Word of God. 
In fact, statements are made, those are outdated traditions of Scripture. God would not say that today. It's a very common statement made today. It's no surprise that with just a little dangerous advice that is heeded, you end up buying everything the enemy of God is selling. It's truly a sad state of affairs to see many that claim to have known the ways of God mock and ridicule those very things. As if they were nothing more than a facade the whole time. Which very well may have been the case for them. Some of the worst people to be around are scoffing or critical Christians who have been hurt by others and their own poor decisions and only respond in bitterness to Christ and his church. Believer, if you're walking with sinners, you're standing with them, and then eventually you get to a place where you're just mocking and critiquing everything that the word of God says, you've gone a lot further than you think. Christians that try their best to live as they should in their homes, read their Bibles, pray and go to church, are looked at as nut jobs by people like this. Essentially, when one gets to the scoffer stage, they say things like this, well, it didn't work out for them, did it? Because the truth is, it's easy to find, if you will, casualties of the war. People that have failed, fallen. They mock other disciples who have fallen into a grievous sin. Criticizing others is quite easy to do, isn't it? It doesn't take much effort. That's why, if you've ever watched any sports event, if you're serious about sports in any way, the fans think they know better than the players. But they're not in there participating, are they? They're screaming at the top of their lungs. Do this! Cover that guy! Do that! They know nothing of the game compared to the one that's in the arena. But it's easy for them to criticize, right? Doing the work is difficult and requires discipline, which many of us lack. The way the godly man or woman stays on track is very simple, but it's difficult. All at the same time, they make God's word a priority in their life. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Delighting means desiring. The blessed man, the godly man, desires God's word, plain and simple. Ask yourself that this morning. Do you desire God's word? I don't mean in a checklist way, got to do my reading. I mean in a, I really love to hear the word of God. I love to read the word of God. I love thinking about the word of God. You see, this blessed man realizes that the word of God is so valuable, it gives him life. There's, a, there's such a difference in this man and how he takes in the word of God than a mere reader of the word of God. This man can't wait to hear from God. 
Can't wait to hear another sermon. Can't wait to get in to read what it is that God says. They can't wait to hear what God wants them to do. I don't know if you've ever read the word of God and thought of what God wants someone else to do instead of you. You ever read a passage of scripture and go, man, this would have been good for them to read. <laughs> Be nice if they read this text this morning. Have you seen the way they acted yesterday? You see, the blessed man, the one that's righteous, delights in it because he wants to see what it is that God wants them to do. It matters so much to them that there's a process of meditating and going over and over what it is that they've read and studied in their mind. There's something to put into the mind when it comes to meditation according to scripture. It is not to empty it, but rather to fill the mind with the word of God. So many read the Bible, but do not meditate on the Bible. And I want to make a side note on this. I know I've encouraged so many to read the Bible in this church. Can I reemphasize what this text says? Also, meditate on the Word of God. Take it in and let it linger. Think about it often. In fact, Thomas Watson says this, the reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Excellent statement. I've done that many times. Or as another commentator points out, Meditation is not the setting apart of a special time for personal devotions, whether morning or evening, but it is the reflection on the Word of God in the course of daily activities. Reference Joshua 1.8. Regardless of the time of day or the context, the godly respond to life in accordance with God's Word. Don't just read the Bible to say you've read the Bible. Read the Word of God so you can dwell on the Word of God. This is why you have the phrase, day and night. Because it's something that is to be recalled and thought about over and over again. It is the very reason why we ought to memorize, and many of us don't. You can't meditate on what you don't remember. You ever done that? You read a passage of scripture, you're like, yeah, I kind of remember what it was talking about. Something about God wants me to love him, right? Like, very generic. You could have pulled that one off of Facebook. But when you meditate on the word of God, you make it intentional to memorize the word of God. To constantly go over it and over it again in your mind. It's obviously very important to read, as you need to take it in. You can't meditate on what you haven't read. But it's also quite important to take time and ruminate. Think about it. Over 
and over again. The result of this is a flourishing life. The blessed life, the happy life. Here's where the blessed life leads. Look at what this says. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, so many of us talk about the importance of producing fruit, especially when we think of the analogy in John chapter 15. What I find fascinating in this text, though, is that essentially the picture here is of a tree that produces fruit, what's the phrase? In its season. In its season. The roots grow deep, which means that this tree is not easily knocked down. The fruit will be produced in due time. It may not be evident today, but the fruit will be there in due season. Listen, believer, don't get discouraged if it seems like not much is going on right now. If you're faithful, the fruit produced will be a nourishment for others as well. Leaf doesn't wither. There's a sign of life to this man. Where others are wearing down, this man has life and it's evident to those around them. This is more than just an emotional high. You ever seen people that are emotionally high and they crash the next day? You ever seen people that, man, they literally are like the two extremes. They're either very good mood today, terrible mood tomorrow. There's not even a balance. It's like, which version am I going to get? This is more than an emotional high. This is a person that's stable. Something visibly different about this person that lives this blessed life, this godly life. Now this last part in the verse is what many like to skip to saying, hey, you know what, this is a name and claim it passage. Whatever he does shall prosper. Man, that sounds awesome. Anything you put your mind to, you can achieve. If there's a will, there's a way, right? All of these nice philosophies that we've been taught. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a promise that anything you set your mind to, you can achieve. This is a promise that God will bring something out of this person's life that is lasting and endures or prospers. You see, though many don't see the investment you've made in others, God does and he sees it and knows it. He knows that even after you've gone, there are scores of people that will continue the work he's called you to after you. Even after you're gone from this life, there are others that will take your place in the kingdom. To continue the work. And that is one of the reasons why discipleship is so key. That we disciple people according to the dictates of scripture. That we do not let the world disciple them, but we let the word of God disciple them. That we intentionally use the word of God as our standard. 
I don't think we see the amazing blessings of God because we're always looking for the big moments. We're always looking for the big moments. Or many times it's the fruit produced in a season that seems so insignificant in their lives, in our lives, but it truly yields a fruit years down the road that blossoms. God will continue to use those things. You see, the blessed man prospers even in death. I think you and I both know that when Jesus died, we won. I don't think anybody can argue that one. That wasn't the end. And unfortunately, in our culture that thinks success means you have everything you can have on this earth, they don't see the bigger picture that God does. The idea here is their success because he does what God would want. Which is why it matters who defines success. If you and I define success, we would look at Jesus as a failure. Why go to a cross? As Paul says, it's foolishness. But for us that are saved, who are being saved, it's the power of God. If you think through the heritage of faith, what seemed like a loss many times ended up a victory and a success. The persecution of the church spread the gospel further and wider. A blessed man is a man that produces fruit and is successful in everything that God has called him to even if it means difficulty and trial. Success does not mean lack of pain, believer. Success does not mean lack of trial, believer. Success does not mean loss in this life, believer. All of those things can happen. It means to multiply, to produce, just like the tree does. That's what it's meant to do, produce. Failing is a part of the process, even for the righteous man. How do we know that? Scripture tells us the righteous man falls. Seven times, he gets back up. Erwin Lutzer said this, those who have failed miserably are often the first to see God's formula for success. I want to park for a moment and talk about the church that's blessed. The church that's blessed produces fruit in its season. I think what a lot of us that have grown up in the church would like to see, and myself included as a pastor, we would like to see instant results for our efforts. We would like to see God do something so miraculous that we would be blown away today. I can't tell you the amount of times I read that text in Acts when Peter preaches and thousands are saved. Like, man, that would be awesome. And then I realized the problem with all that to deal with right after. Logistically crazy. 
why you have deacons right away, right? All right, guys, we need deacons to sort all this out. You see, there's always someone that is nourished and helped by the tree that produces fruit. But as always, there are those that aren't blessed, that aren't successful in the eyes of God, and they're essentially tossed around. That's number two, the ungodly life. Verses four through five. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly are not so. They are none of the things we just described. They do not care if they walk or don't in the counsel of the ungodly. Because that's who they are. They stand with sinners because that's their identity. They sit mocking and ridiculing the godly. They hate God's word and those that feed on it. Which is why they plan to destroy the younger generations by introducing them to the very perversions we see in our schools today. I have no problem saying that. The ungodly want you to not just tolerate, but celebrate them in their wickedness. And they will not stop until you do. And I want to pause for a moment and say this, church. It is important that we get our testimony right in these areas ourselves. It is easy to go criticize the world for what they're doing wrong when we have a lot of disasters in our own homes. Live, living, kids living in sin that we don't call out. Well, at least they're not doing this. That is not your standard. Doesn't matter if it's homosexual, heterosexual. Sin is sin. Adultery is still sin. Fornication is still sin. These people argue that Christians want to legislate morality in their worldview. But when it comes to things like abortion, they don't even realize that they're doing the same thing by imposing their morals on a child that has no rights in the matter that they're going to terminate. The child that they decide to kill. Moral standards will always be imposed. The question is simple. Whose moral standards? It says here, they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The ungodly are not stable. They might seem like they have it better than the godly, but they don't. Life is but a vapor, and what they enjoy now passes away a lot faster than they realize. Chaff is a small covering on a kernel of grain, which was separated easily by throwing the grain into the wind and have it fall away. 
Essentially, this is a person that gets knocked around quite easily by the circumstances in life. Because there aren't deep roots that are nourished by the Word of God. And believer, I want to pause and encourage you. If you're watching this online, if you're here, if you do not make God's Word a priority, you will be like this. You will be unstable. You will be, as James says, the double-minded man. Unstable in all their ways. This is why a success-driven entrepreneur keeps going, trying for more, but many times feels empty, though their videos and books would never tell you that. As one man said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. I believe I want you to pause and think through what David is saying here. There's a day of reckoning that's coming where God is going to sort it all out. And the ungodly will not stand before God as the righteous do, as the godly do. The errors that seem to be a win here on this earth will be absolutely a waste in glory. For those that deny God. The ones that stood back and judged the righteous will one day be judged by the God of the righteous. Who was worshipped by those very same people that they condemned. Believer, do not lose heart. You will win because God has already won. Just like Asaph tells us in Psalm 73, and I'm sure you and I fall into this trap at times, he was jealous of the wicked and what they got away with while he tried to live an upright life. Something changed when he came before God in worship. You ever have that happen? You ever had a real miserable week? Somehow, God's word just realigns you. Here's what he says in Psalm 73, verse 16. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Believer, don't let the world distract you. Don't assume that because some things are better right now that it's always going to stay that way. Don't assume that just because people are enjoying some things now, then that really are blessed. Be careful how you define happy. Be careful how you define blessed. This is why so many Christians are so miserable. They don't see the end result of the ungodly. Because they're living in their midst, listening to their advice, 
standing with them in opposition to other followers of Christ. And they're wondering all the while, why am I feeling so miserable? Because you don't belong. You belong with the ungodly. If you're watching this and you're a child of God, you belong with the saints of God. We just sang this earlier. Take this world, but give me Jesus. Is it true? Is God enough? Come back to the fold of God if you're far away. Come back to the fellowship of the saints. Stop pretending you're okay. You need him. You need to see the truth once again. Just as Asaph did. And he only had it come to realization when he came to worship. Number three, let's close with a contrasting conclusion. Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I love this verse. I love this verse because of what it really says and not what you read it the first time. God knows his own. He knows them intimately, personally. He doesn't just know some details. He knows those that are his. As Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And I give to them eternal life. They will never perish. Neither will any man pluck them out of my hand. Child of God, if you are his, that is a precious thought. He knows not just what's going on in your life, he knows you personally. Now, depending on how you see that, you can be quite scared. Yeah, he knows everything about you. Your inadequacies, your struggles behind the scenes. The area that you've gone to him over and over asking for forgiveness for. He cares for his own children. And he calls them to himself. If you're a child of God, you need to take this in for a moment. God knows you. You personally. Not just the person sitting next to you, you personally. He doesn't just know when you were born, how old you are today, how many hairs are on your head, although for some it's easy. How messed up this last week was. He knows you. The 
question becomes this. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you simply familiar with him, or do you actually know him? Because unfortunately, if you don't know him, then the way you are heading leads to destruction. As it says here, the way of the ungodly shall perish. That is not a good path to be on. That is not the blessed life. If you do know him, how close are you to him now? You're either moving forward or further back in your walk with God. How close are you today? Maybe you're that distant child that's running away. Maybe you're watching online because you're too embarrassed to come to church. Can I call you back to the fold of God? Can I encourage you to once again walk with the saints of God? If you need help, help us, let us help you res- be restored. We've all been in horrible spots in our life as believers. We've all been prodigals. Maybe you're not that distant child running away. Maybe you're the close prodigal son. The one that's nice and religious. That knows all the stuff. You say all the right things at all the right times. Every time. You have the answers. But you're just like a Pharisee. You say a lot of things that would make people think and give them the impression that you really walk with God closely. But you aren't. You're still distant. Still don't have the Father's heart. Maybe you're doing all the stuff but not caring about his heart. But God, look at all the things I've done for you. Look! It's a dangerous way to think. It's actually very scary in some texts of Scripture. That many will say, I've done all these things for you, God. And the scariest words ever spoken, depart from me, I never knew you. There'll be pastors in those midst. In that midst. Don't you want that godly life that leads to blessing, believer? Don't you want literally God's best? You do realize that it's worth it, even in the most difficult moments of life. The happiest life is the one that is found delighting in God and in his word. That's the life that's rooted, that's grounded, that's truly able to produce fruit in due season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for...